I do not mean to pry. But you don't by any chance happen to have six fingers on your right hand? Do you always begin conversations this way? William Goldman is one of Hollywood's most revered and successful screenwriters. The Writers Guild of America lists no less than three of his scripts as amongst the top 100 screenplays ever written. In the 1960s, he spent years researching the Wild West before deciding that he would weave fact with fiction and call it Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. He won an Oscar for it. A couple of years later, he was hired to adapt a book written by two journalists working for the Washington Post who were investigating the break-in at the Watergate building. All the president's men proved to be an arduous process because this time Goldman couldn't make stuff up. He had to be very faithful to events that had really happened. But he did a great job and it won him a second Oscar. The third script on the 100 list is a work of genius called The Prince's Bride by S. Morgan Stern, Chapter 1. I'll come to that fun palace in a minute, but given that Goldman made up a bunch of stuff for Butch and Sundance and then adapted a factual book written by two other writers for President's Men, I want to ask this. Who writes the story? I mean, who truly writes it? You'd assume it is the person who sits down at the typewriter, right? Truly, you have a dizzying intellect. But are they in full control of the story they are telling? I ask this because if you were to talk to a psychoanalyst, they might say no. There are things in the book in which the author is not aware, elements that emerge from the subconscious, and so these writers may even be unwittingly writing about other things, such as themselves. That would be inconceivable. However, if you talk to a sociologist, they may argue that writers are never truly the sole creators because they themselves are products of their environments. In other words, the book is an expression of the cultural age, and the author is merely a means through which that age finds expression. It's the reason why Jane Austen wrote Pride and Prejudice, and not, say, Fifty Shades of Grey. As I told you, it would be absolutely, totally, and in all other ways, inconceivable. Then if you talk to some English professors, they will tell you something really bizarre. Hold on to your hat for this. It is the reader who is the author. Inconceivable! Yes, the reader reads the book, and it is they who decides the book's meaning. Inconceivable! You give you in the heart. I don't think it means what you think it means. Now, nutty as that sounds, I would like to apply some of those ideas to The Princess Bride. You see, the film is based on a book called The Princess Bride, a classic tale of true love and high adventure by S. Morgenstern, and William Goldman adapted it. When Goldman was a young boy, he caught pneumonia and his father read him the book. When William grew up, he became a father and read it to his ten-year-old son. I brought you a special present. What is it? Open it up. A book? That's right. When I was your age, television was called books. And this is a special book. It was the book my father used to read to me when I was sick and I used to read it to your father. And today, I'm going to read it to you. Is there any sports in it? Are you kidding? Fencing, fighting, torture, revenge, giants, monsters, chases, escapes, true love, miracles. But when the adult William began reading it, he was surprised and disappointed to learn that his own son hated the story and didn't want to hear it. Moreover, the adult William found the book wasn't how he remembered it at all. What is this? Are you trying to trick me? And where's the sports? Is this a kissing book? Wait, just wait. When's it get good? Keep your shirt on. Let me read. But adult William continued on reading, if only to satisfy his own curiosity and figure out how he could have misremembered so much of the novel. But the more he read of it, the more disillusioned he became. 
Contrary to what he recalled, Morgenstern's classic tale was anything but. Page after page was filled with genealogies of European royalty, the rumours at court, and the political schemes between the various kingdoms. Then it hit the adult William. His father had skipped out all those boring bits and just read the good bits, and that was why the young William had loved the stories so much. Who are you? Are we enemies? Why am I on this wall? Where's Buttercup? Let me explain. No, there is too much. Let me sum up. Buttercup is Mary Humperdinck in a little less than half an hour. So all we have to do is get in, break up the wedding, steal the princess, make our escape. After I kill Count Rogan. It was then that Goldman took it upon himself to present an abridged version of Morgenstern's fairy tale. And since then, Goldman's version has become the preferred version of the story. And now, if you go looking for Morgenstern's original in the bookstores or even online, you will have great difficulty finding it. To the death. No. To the pain. I don't think I'm quite familiar with that phrase. I'll explain, and I'll use small words. Now here's the truth. There is no S. Morgenstern. It's a pseudonym under which the real William Goldman wrote the book. He just invented the persona of S. Morgenstern because he wanted to have fun telling a story and at the same time tell a story about telling a story. A similar thing happens in the movie when the grandfather, played by Peter Falk, visits his sick grandson, played by Ted Savage, and he reads to him a fairy tale written by, yes, S. Morgenstern. And just like in the movie where the grandfather... She doesn't get eaten by the eels at this time. What? The eel doesn't get her. Now, I'm explaining to you because you look nervous. I was nervous. Well, maybe I was a little bit concerned, but that's not the same thing. Because we can stop now if you want. No, you could read a little bit more if you want. Like I was saying, just like in the movie where the grandfather interrupts the story to make his own comments, and indeed does the grandson interrupt the story to voice his own complaints, so too in Goldman's book does he constantly interject on how exciting or how absurd it all is. All of which is a roundabout way of saying that if you want to learn about telling stories, you'd do very well to read The Princess Bride. Goldman's version, that is. I remember this farm boy of yours, I think. This would be what, five years ago? Does it bother you to hear? Nothing you can say will upset me. He died well. That should please you. No bribe attempts or blubbering. He simply said, please. Please, I need to live. It was the please that caught my memory. I asked him what was so important for him here. True love, he replied. You don't need to go wading through all that literary theory to understand those deep concepts. You can read fun books and watch fun movies and it's all there, without the rhetoric, pretension or intellectual snobbery. But at the same time, some of those ideas about who writes a book just might hold water. You see, there's a brilliant moment in the book and the movie where Wesley has been captured by Count Tyrone Rugen and is being tortured. When he was writing the novel, William Goldman was experiencing such a creative burst that without realising it, he typed the words, Wesley lay dead on the table. Grandpa, Grandpa, wait, wait. What did Fezzik mean he's dead? I mean, he didn't mean dead. Wesley's only faking, right? You want me to read this or not? Who gets Humperdinck? I don't understand. Who kills Prince Humperdinck? At the end, somebody's got to do it. Is it Inigo who? Nobody. Nobody kills him. He lives. You mean he wins? 
Jesus, Grandpa, what did you read me this thing for? You know, you, you've been very sick, and you're taking this story very seriously. I think we ought to stop now. Suddenly, Goldman saw what he had done. He had killed off his hero. How had he come up with such a fantastic idea? Who knows, but the words sat there on the page. And get this, Goldman started to cry. He had unwittingly painted himself into a corner. How could he get out of it? Well, he could have torn up the page and started again, but he didn't. He couldn't. It was too good an idea to let go. So instead, he went about inventing a solution. Look who knows so much, eh? Well, it just so happens that your friend here is only mostly dead. There's a big difference between mostly dead and all dead. Please open his mouth. Now, mostly dead, he's slightly alive. Now, all dead, well, with all dead, there's usually only one thing that you can do. What's that? Go through his clothes and look for loose change. All of which is to illustrate that if writers can surprise themselves, there's a good possibility that they will surprise the reader as well. Bye-bye, boys! Have fun storming the castle! Think it'll work? It would take a miracle. So who wrote The Princess Bride? Honestly, and all jokes aside, the origin of the story came neither from Goldman himself nor S. Morgenstern, but his daughters. Goldman's daughters, not Morgenstern's. You see, that piece about Goldman reading to his son, he was pretending. He doesn't have a son. He just made that up when he was rewriting Morgenstern, who doesn't exist. No, the whole idea came about because Goldman's two little daughters kept asking him to write a story for them. So he asked them what did they want the story to be about. One said a princess and the other a bride. And thus began the story of Buttercup and Wesley and one of the best times I've ever had in the cinema. Marriage. Marriage is what brings us together today. Marriage, that blessed arrangement, that dream within a dream. Now, as a final note about who writes stories, when The Princess Bride became a hit, William Goldman wanted to write a sequel, Buttercup's Baby, but he was prohibited from doing so because S. Morgenstern's estate wanted Stephen King to do it instead. Here's Johnny! Ah! 